Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well this morning. I don't know about you. I'm glad to see the sun. Isn't that nice? After many days of rain. We all felt like Noah yesterday. Uh, I, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Hilton Head Island uh, Community Church, and I'm, I'm really glad that you have joined in uh, worship this morning. And uh, we are in the series, actually bringing this series to a conclusion called Blah, Blah, Blah. And um, somebody suggested that um, I didn't have enough creativity to name our series, actually it was my sister-in-law down here who sang. She said that I didn't have enough creativity to name our series, and uh, I responded by saying, yeah, we just named it blah, 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 and our next series is called Whatever. So anyway, <laughs> that's for you, Christy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in a moment. Um, but I want to ask you a question as we get started this morning. I want to ask you a question that I asked myself this week, and after I had enough time to think about it, I um, really was able to kind of unpack a memory in my mind. Now, I realize when I ask this question, um, some of you aren't going to remember this. Um, perhaps some of you this has never happened to, and that's awesome, um, but some of you are going to remember it instantly. And uh, it's a tough question, but we're in church, right? And honesty is, you know, the right policy in church, right? So you have to answer the question, okay? So here's the question. Are you ready? Have I built this up enough? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Can you remember the first time that you used a curse word or used the Lord's name? I just want to point out that in this room, our student pastor led the way with his hand going straight up in the air. Uh, how many of you can remember? Thanks, Cody. Um, I don't feel alone now. How many of you can remember, because I'm raising my hand, the first time you used the Lord's name in vain or used a curse word or foul language? Come on. Just, I mean, I know not all of you can. That's fine. Awesome. Okay, great. So I'm not the only one. Some of you are like, it was this morning on the way to church. Um, it was funny in the first service because when I asked that question in the first service, we had students that were back in our cafe area, and all their hands went up like this. I'm like, we're doing a great job. Nice job, Cody. Uh, I, um, I remember the first time I used a curse word. It was kind of a funny situation. Um, I, when I was about, I don't remember my age. I was probably from 8 to 10, let's say, um, in that kind of age range, and I think it was it was either like one of those snow days or um, I was home from school sick, and we all know that kids don't actually sleep when they're home from school sick, they play. And so I was home from school, and um, I took all of my toys, which I would often do, and I would create a city in my parents' house, in the living room, and I would take it, and there'd be roads that would go into their room and into my room and my sister's room, and then it's where I would torment her. And um, so I, I created this city out of... Legos, Star Wars action figures, I'm completely dating myself here, um, and, and Matchbox cars. I really just dated myself there. But um, I would create these cities, and the part that I liked the most was the Legos. And I would build these intricate buildings. I had thousands of Legos, and I would take the, the tub of Legos and dump them out and just have um, fun putting together this stuff. And... Um, uh, so I would do that, and uh, this particular day, I remember doing that, and I don't know if some of you are like me, you grew up in the you know, 70s and 80s, what my kids call the 1900s, and in the 1900s, Legos didn't work exactly like they do today, because sometimes, in fact, pretty often, you get one that doesn't fit with the other one. Are you with me? Does anyone remember that? And you're like, oh, 
come on. Why doesn't the bottom of that fit with the top of that? It doesn't fit. And I had gotten down to the last house or whatever I was building, and I was down to just a few pieces of Legos, and it didn't fit. And I was trying hard, and I was pressing, and just the harder I tried, the more frustrated I got, and I'm Irish, and so my temper got the best of me, and I did what any kid would do at that age when they were trying to put those pieces. I took that house or building, and I threw it against the brick fireplace, and it went into about 30 or 40 different pieces. And in that moment of anger as a young kid, which was not my first and certainly probably won't be my last, um, I said something a word that I had heard my parents tell me not to say. <laughs> and it just came out. And I stopped, and as I looked around at the Lego pieces laying on the floor, I looked around <laughs> to see if anybody had what? Heard me. I was safe. I had gotten away with it. Nobody heard me. My sister wasn't there for some reason, and I would, she's three years younger than me. I would have made sure she didn't tell mom and dad. But um, I, mom and dad didn't hear. I had gotten away with it. And honestly, as sincerely as I can tell you, that little incident um, that very quickly came back to my memory this week as I uh, thought about this um, started a, um, a long period of time in my life in later elementary and middle school and high school and even into college um, where as long as nobody heard me, I would use those words. And it's interesting because I think that if we can get away with it, we can use those words, right? That's what we believe, right? Nobody hears me, so it's all right, right? As long as nobody hears me, I can use those words. Well, I can't blame anybody but me. I grew up in a house. Um, I honestly and sincerely, my parents were great parents. They are great parents. Um, they uh, raised us in a very good home, um, but we weren't without our struggles. We weren't without our frustrations, just like any household. Um, but the one thing that I always respected about my mom and dad is I, I never heard my mother. She didn't even come close like to cursing or, or saying the Lord's name in vain or profanity or anything like that. My dad, I heard him one time, and when he said the word that he said, which I won't repeat in here, um, we just, both of us just broke down laughing because it was so like unlike him. Um, so I can't blame them. Um, I couldn't blame my school. I had great teachers. Um, I, I had even my coaches. I played soccer all through middle school and high school. Even my soccer coaches never heard them uh, curse or take the Lord's name in vain. Um, I probably can blame my friends who I'm still friends with today and Cynthia knows them and I probably can blame them a little bit, but I really can't blame anybody but me for the language that I began to use and got pretty good at it as long as no one heard me. As long as nobody heard me curse or cuss, I'd let one fly. And I'd say it under my breath and I'd say it in my head. Today, we're continuing in this series called Blah, 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 and actually we bring it to an end today. And we've established a couple facts. First, in the first week, we established the fact that the words that you say really are a reflection of your heart. They're really a reflection of your heart because your heart, things, ideas, words begin in your heart. And then they go to your mind and then they come out of your mouth. It doesn't just happen. You don't just say something without dwelling on it in your heart and then uh, really thinking about it with your mind and then it comes out of your mouth. In week two, Pastor Cody talked about the fact 
that what we say can have a profound impact on people's faith walk, on their journey with God. And that we have to have a lot of accountability if you're in here today and you're a Christ follower because what we say may push someone towards Jesus or it may push them away from him. And so we need to be very careful and there's a lot of accountability that we need to have with our words. Think about it, parents or grandparents, teachers, if you're part of our student ministry, your words have a profound impact on the faith walk of the kids that are kind of under your leadership. A tremendous amount. Last week, we talked about the fact that there's that moment in time that we have, and we can choose either a rotten word or a fresh word. Not like being fresh, but I'm talking about we can use a word that is going to tear down, or we can use a word that's going to build up. And we have that moment in time that we have to make a decision, and we have to rely on God's Holy Spirit and allow Him to invade our lives so that we speak words, as Paul says, that build others up. Well, today as we draw a conclusion, as we bring things to a close, I want to take a look at a passage of scripture that for some of you, it might be very familiar. Uh, For others, it may be completely foreign, but it's Jesus talking and he addresses the issue of how we use our mouths and what we say has not just an impact on those around us, but it also has an impact on our relationship with the almighty God. And so before we dive in today, let's pray and ask God to guide our time together. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit bringing change to our lives. And God, today, as I would imagine that we all struggle with this issue to one degree or another, um, God, I pray that you would um, pierce our hearts And that, Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. That you would challenge those who need to be challenged and encourage those who need to be encouraged this morning. I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would do repair on our hearts. Because at the center of this issue is a heart issue. And I pray that you would change us from the inside out. Father God, don't allow us to get into the trap of changing our behavior. Help us to change our hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today we're going to do something a little bit differently. I want to take a look at the passage we're discussing today, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, uh, from two different versions The first one is the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is our version that we use here at Hilton Head Island Community Church on a regular basis. But then I want to do something different. I want to switch and take a look at it uh, from the the message. And uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a message, which is a paraphrase. I think I may have attributed it to another author in the first service. But Eugene Peterson wrote uh, a paraphrase of all of Scripture, which is the message. And that's what we have today. And we're going to take a look at it. Uh, from both of those perspectives. But before we dive in, I need to give you a little background on this passage. Um, Jesus has been out in the desert. There's uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four books in the New Testament that uh, give the account of Jesus going out into the desert. And he, he wrestled with Satan. Satan tried to tempt him in different areas. And uh, he tempted him in, in several different areas. And Jesus came away from that standing strong. Obviously, Jesus was all God, so he was able to resist Satan's temptations. But he comes back and he begins to preach 
After he's been out in the desert, he begins his ministry of teaching and preaching and telling others about why God sent Jesus. And he did that so that we all, even 2,000 plus years later, can have eternal life through his son. And so Jesus is teaching and he's preaching and he kind of moves from Jerusalem up a little bit north into an area called Galilee where there's this big lake. It's called the Lake of Galilee. They really reached on that name, but it was called the Lake of Galilee. And he would uh, kind of go around the Lake of Galilee and he would gather as he would teach and as he would do ministry, he would gather these men who were called disciples And they came kind of close to him, kind of in his inner circle. And we see in Matthew 4 that he gathered James and and John and uh, 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 Peter. And he began to gather these men close to him. And chapter 5 of Matthew shows Jesus going up onto the mountainside. And he begins to teach. He begins to preach and give a message to his disciples. And by that time... My guess is that there were dozens of disciples, and at that time, maybe three or four of the 12 were kind of in his inner circle. And so he is teaching and he's preaching, and we have what we uh, call today the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll often refer to a piece of the Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to hear this today because I think it dovetails with what we're talking about. What Jesus was doing when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, when he was preaching there up on this mountainside, is he was essentially saying to those who were hearing him, if you believe in me, then you are a Christ follower, and your focus should be on heaven and not on earth. And so his focus then was to challenge them to be thinking about their own lives from a heaven perspective rather than from an earthly perspective. He was making this contrast, kind of trying to draw a contrast between the fact that we were tempted to live kind of like the world and we're we're tempted to live like the earth, but really we need to live our lives with our future home in mind. And so if you're a Christ follower in here today, your future home is heaven. And so we ought to live our lives, Jesus says, with heaven in mind. And so then he begins to teach and preach, and he kind of turns society upside down. He uh, preaches and teaches a message that's counterintuitive and maybe even counterculture. And he talks about how we should live, and he lists the Beatitudes. He gives the Beatitudes, what we have today as the Beatitudes in chapter 5. And I want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity, it's a great study, it's a great read. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you'll get the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's what it is, 5, 6, and 7. And then we come to these few verses that I want us to take a look at this morning in chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Jesus talking about living like you're going to heaven, living like what your home is going to be in heaven. And he says this, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Verse 36. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 37. What you say may be simply yes and no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, typically, when we look at this passage, and 
Some of you who grew up in church and that sort of thing, you may have heard teaching on this passage. And typically, we get the idea that generally what Jesus is saying is don't commit yourself to something that you can't fulfill. And, and that is true. But I believe that there's a deeper, more heart-focused issue in his message here in Matthew 5, through 37 than just that. I think that's one of the many things that we can learn, but I think there are a few others. And I want to take a look at the message, listen to the words as I read them, and read them on the screen, because this is very poignant and very powerful. Take a look at what we have from the message. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it. Any of us guilty of that? We'll talk about that in a minute. Or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. Wow. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes, what are those last two words? Less true. Wow. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Jesus begins by reflecting, by the way, in, those first, in that first verse, in verse 33, by talking about the statement of old, he's referring to the third commandment, which basically says that we shouldn't take the Lord's God, uh, the Lord God's uh, name in vain. And, and today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to expand that a little bit, okay? I'm going to expand that a little bit, and I'm going to call it all of profanity. We'll use that word. I'm not going to use a profanity word. I'm going to use the word profanity to describe what I believe Jesus was talking about. I think he was talking about more than just, and I think you'll have a better understanding of this when we're done, more than just taking the Lord's name in vain. And I realize for some of you that may be painful for me to put that in the same category, but for the purpose of our discussion today, I want to put all of it under one umbrella. Now, let's use the notes as our guide. If you have your notes, you can take them this morning, and let's jump right in to the notes. How do we make sure our words honor God? First of all, God is holy and his name should be treated with respect and honor. God is holy and his name should be treated with respect and honor. Verse 33 again, Jesus says this again, you have heard it said that those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, let me give you a little context here, because the people that were reading this or the people that were hearing this in that day, kind of in that first century time frame, they might have had a little bit different understanding than we do today. Here's why. In Jewish culture in that day and age, when someone said that they are going to do something and they would use God's name, I'm going to be there, I swear by the name of God, or I'm going to do something, I'm going to be out in that field, and I swear by the name of God, it was, please don't miss this, it was a very serious thing to use the name of God. 
in their religious culture and in their upbringing, they would have understood that you reserve swearing by God's name for something that you absolutely, positively know that is going to happen or that you're going to do or you're going to accomplish. They also knew the negative aspect, and that is, is if they swore by God's name and didn't do it, they would be cursed. They would be cursed. And so they took it very seriously. They took very seriously using God's name, and they would only use God's name in a situation where they absolutely knew that they were going to do what they said they were going to do. They reserved his name, which is holy and righteous for very important things because of the weighty implications that went along with that. But the problem with our day and age is is that we don't have that context. So we read this passage and we go, well, all it means, it doesn't really mean using the Lord's name in vain. It doesn't really mean profanity. It doesn't really mean foul language. All it means is that we need to say what we're going to do. And that's one thing. But I think it's much weightier than that. I think it drives at a heart issue. And I think our hearts generally in this century, in our day and age, have been lured and pulled into using language and using profanity and the Lord's name in vain because of our circumstances and because of society around us. Some of you hear it all the time in your homes. Some of you heard it growing up all the time. And it's hard because you grew up with it. We had a pastor once who said, man, it is so hard for me not to cuss because my mom cussed like a sailor. And it is so hard to get that out. And it's true. Hollywood has lured us into using God's name in vain and using profanity. Think about this. In 1930, Hollywood adopted a code a self-governing code for all of movies and TV and even extended into radio in 1930 that listed 11 specific don'ts and 21 statements of be careful to use. There were 11 specific things that they couldn't talk about and there were 21 things that they needed to be careful about. And they were well-defined, these rules were well-defined and reflected the culture of that day. Among them was you don't use the Lord's name in vain. You may make a reference to God, but the the Hayes Code, which was the code of that day in Hollywood, said that it must be in a religious context. Wow. We've changed a lot, haven't we? A lot. That code was abandoned in 1968. They switched to a rating system, which is fluid all the time, isn't it? It changes about every five to ten years. It changes all the time, and it changes because movie studios want to make more what? Money. So they target a larger audience. In fact, in today's day and age, a movie producer or movie studio will try to get a certain rating so that they can try to get an audience that they're specifically trying to target so that they can make what? Money. It's driven by money. Hollywood used to be driven, I know it's inconceivable to think about, but Hollywood used to be driven by values that were based on God's word. And now it's driven by money. It just is what it is. And it has an impact on our minds and it has an impact on our hearts and we get lured into it because we hear it all the time, don't we? We hear it all the time. TV, it it may be even worse because broadcast and cable TV is easily accessible. 
And now with internet and Netflix and all the different options, it's even more accessible. Think about the fact that for a long time, any kind of profanity that was used on broadcast TV, I know that's hard to believe, anybody that's under the age of like 20, there used to be a day when they broadcast in airwaves TV state, uh, uh, shows. And uh, we have a hard time understanding that today. But profanity was reserved from um, the time of midnight to 6 a.m. And then uh, about a dozen or so years ago, they expanded that to 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then just recently, they expanded it to 9 p.m. during what used to be family-friendly time to 6 a.m. And so Hollywood is inching closer and closer and closer to absolutely no rules when it comes to vulgarity and profanity and specifically using God's name in vain. It just is what it is, and it has an impact on our society. And we, even Christians, get lured into it, don't we? Don't we? We get lured into it. A study by the Parents Television Council reveals that the use of profanity in TV rose 70%, like 69.8%, from 2005 to 2010. And there's coming a day when this whole idea of using whatever kind of language you want on TV and in Hollywood is going to be a free speech issue for them. And for us, we're left with values that have been absolutely disintegrated. We struggle with it in our own home. Cynthia and I can't even hardly watch any TV show without covering the kids' ears because of what it is. And we often will turn it off or turn it to something else. And we, even Christians, are not immune to this. George Barna did a study recently. George Barna is a, uh, a man and organization, has an organization that does studies and surveys for churches and Christians. And he found out that uh, in a recent survey that Christians who called themselves strong, committed Christians, one in three dealt very deeply with the issue of profanity. It's not an issue that we are immune to. It's just not, and it's all around us. And we must strive to get a hold of our tongues because truly it reveals what our hearts are. And so we must strive not just to get a hold of our tongues, but we must strive to ask God to repair our hearts. Verse 33 from the message says this, and don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded in our traditions. Jesus essentially is saying when you swear loosely by God's name and when you send out messages, oh, by the way, Facebook and texting and Twitter is probably the worst. I call them drive-by shootings. And we just like let people have it with all kind of vulgarity and texting. We use OMG all the time, right? And all that kind of thing. We use it all the time and we do it and the person doesn't even realize what's hit them. My rant's over there. Swearing was Swearing by God's name was reserved for a very meaningful and specific thing. And we have very much in our lives and in culture and even in our Christian lives, we've gotten very lazy. We've gotten very sloppy with using God's name. This is the holy God who created heaven and earth. This is the God that loved humanity enough that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to save us from our sins and give us the hope of heaven. And we ought to use his name with reverence and respect and honor. To simply correct our speech is to correct a behavior that will return if the heart is not changed, though. Our hearts have to change on this. We must be changed in our hearts, and then the words of our mouth can be acceptable to God. 
take a look at the second point. Don't say anything that you don't mean. If we want to honor God with our words, Jesus says, don't say anything you don't mean. This is where we usually get the bottom line of the teaching from Jesus' teaching here. Take a look at 34 uh, through 36. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. You know what Jesus is saying here? Don't make promises you can't keep. Don't make promises you can't keep. Husbands, if you say you're leaving in five minutes to head home for dinner, don't let it be 30. I've done that in the last month, haven't I, Cynthia? We make promises we can't keep. We tell people that we're going to be at a place at a certain time, on a certain day, and we fall through on that. We tell someone that we'll never do that thing that hurt them again, and we have absolutely no intention of keeping that promise. Jesus says, don't do anything that you can't keep. Don't say anything. Don't promise anything that you can't keep. We offer lip service when we deal with people, and God hates lip service. It's fake, and it's phony, and it's illegitimate, but we engage in it all the time. We should strive in our lives to get to the place where our word is our bond, holy and completely and without any reservation. You know why they even used oaths back in the old day? The, the whole reason that oaths were brought up and the reason that Jesus used that term here was because people, when they would say things in that day and age, they didn't really mean it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> when they would say things, they really didn't mean what they were saying, and so an oath was needed almost as a crutch for truthfulness. Isn't that interesting? Oaths were needed because humanity generally says things that we don't mean. Church, we're called to be different. If you're a Christ follower in here today, you're called to be different. Not only to those around you in the church community, but to those around you into your larger community, into your families, in your places where you work. Thirdly and lastly, if we want to honor God with our words, don't use Christian words without sincerity. <laughs> we do this all the time, don't we? We'll say something like, uh, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And you don't really pray for the person. You know what praying for you usually means? If you don't mean it and you don't actually, you know, pray for the other person, which I, I admit that I've done a time or two. You know what it means? It means I, I, I don't want to hear anymore. I'm done with this conversation. I need to move on. I'm praying for you. It's insincere if we don't do it, isn't it? I mean, when I say, and I've said to a lot of you, I'm praying for you, if I don't really pray for you, you know what pastors do? We get into the habit of praying immediately right then and there so that we keep our word at least. If we say to people, man, I'm praying for you about that, and we don't mean it, it's false and it's phony and it's insincere. And Jesus says it's wrong for us to do that. We say things like, God bless you. God bless you. What does that really mean if you don't really mean it? What does it mean when you say, God bless you? I, I think it means, I can't believe you made that decision. I can't believe you did that. God bless you. And I think we get lured into using God's name in vain. We say, Lord of mercy, that's kind of God bless you with gossip. 
Hey, John, did you hear what Susie did? God, Lord, have mercy on her. <laughs> we don't mean it. It's insincere. And we need to be very careful about being insincere. And my favorite is, bless your heart. <laughs> you know what that means? You're an idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. Bless your heart. Bless his heart. Bless her heart. They're idiots. <laughs> and when we use those terms, when we use those phrases, we're just using them. We're not really meaning them. Some of you do. Some of you do mean them. Some of you in here, when you say, I'm praying for you, you have a list. You pull out a notebook. You're right down the list. You need to be on our prayer team. That's awesome. We've got people like that who mean it. Some of you are, who are in here and, and you say, uh, Lord, have mercy. You really mean that. Like, I understand. I sympathize with what you're going through. And, and God, have mercy on your situation. And I'm praying for you. You really mean it. I, I don't know about the uh, bless their heart thing. I think that's just all phony all the time. <laughs> we who are Christ followers should follow the model that God set up when he sent Jesus to die for our sins. Because I want you to hear me. Please don't miss this this morning. God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that we're talking about who's so holy and so righteous, he sincerely loved each and every one of you when he sent Jesus Christ to this world to die for our sins. It was sincere. It was real. He meant it so much that he sent his son to die a brutal death on a cross. And we ought to follow, if we're a Christ follower in here today, we ought to follow in that model of sincerity. We have to be careful with our tongue. We who are Christ followers, we've got to model what Jesus did. People were the center of everything that he did and everything that he said. And we should keep in mind the greatest commandment, that we should love God and that we also should love people. And that's our bottom line this morning. If we say that we love God and we love people, our, wor our words will declare that each and every day. And let me tell you something. If you're in here today and you use a word that is directed towards a person or even a situation or like I do many times, unfortunately, a thing that I'm frustrated with, when we do that, we're really saying we don't love God and love people. Our words ought to reflect the condition of our heart. And it's interesting because I think that we have a struggle I think that we have a struggle because we have God pulling us, God's Holy Spirit convicting us to speak words that are gracious like a honeycomb. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then we have on the other side this pull of the world telling us that we can engage in this kind of language and it's just fine. And we're pulled in different directions. And what we need to do is we need to ask for the God of heaven and earth to be greater in our lives so that we submit to what he says and not what the world says. That we submit to what he wants and not what the world wants. We began this series a few weeks ago by using a verse from Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like honey, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And today as you leave, you can take one of these honey bears. Isn't that cute? Everybody say, aw, aw, isn't that cute? 
And on it, <laughs> on it, it says, gracious words are like a honeycomb. Um, the Seymour family put a lot of effort into making sure these happen. And uh, Scott and the Seymour's, uh, Patty, and kids, thank you, and their kids were involved too, for putting these together. These are great little reminders. Um, I put one on my desk this week, and I needed to read these words a couple times in a couple situations this past week. And I want to encourage you to do that in your own life. Put this on a place where you're going to see it. The honey's real. It can be used. It's edible, okay? I tried it, and I'm still living, okay? So you can use this, but put it in a place that's going to remind you of what Solomon said, that gracious words are like a honeycomb. And let's pray, let's pray that God would deal with our hearts in this pull between his greatness and the world wanting us to speak like the world. Father God, help us in this struggle. Help our hearts to be in tune with you. Help us to not give in when our frustrations and our tempers and our anger take over and curse your name, your holy, righteous name. Help us not to work on the behavior, God, but I pray that we would work on our hearts, that we would work on the intent of our heart in this area. And God, I pray for those who are in here today and they need to be convicted. God, I was convicted this week in preparing for this message. And I pray for those who are in here today and they need to be encouraged to keep on, keeping on in terms of using sweet words, words that are honoring and glorifying and pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray that you would challenge us, Holy Spirit, that you would pierce our hearts as David prayed, I pray that you would find any wicked way within us. And God, I pray in our lives, in a group of people who gather here every Sunday on Hilton Head Island trying to further your kingdom, God, I pray that our testimonies would be pure because our hearts are right with you. And we truly believe that you are greater, that your power, your influence, your work in our lives is greater. And we pray this all in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen.